Hello, and welcome to the Sacrifice of Praise podcast, where we discuss what it means to praise God even when it's difficult. My name is Tori. And my name is Mary. And we are your hosts. Come chat about faith and life with your new sisters in Christ and enjoy learning and growing alongside us. We are so glad you're here. Hello. Welcome to today's podcast episode. We are so excited because today we have a guest. We have Lauren Delgado on the podcast today. She is a certified nurse midwife, and she'll kind of give more detail on her background in the podcast. But today we're going to be talking all about women's health, fertility, natural family planning, all of those good, fun things. So we're so excited to pick her brain and have her on the podcast. But before we jump into that, we are going to, of course, start with our current favorites. So I'm going to let Tori start with her current favorite first. Yes. So my current favorite is kind of a a simple one. Um, Just lately, I've been on a LaCroix kick. And recently, I... Um, I thought I had tried all the flavors, but recently I tried limoncello, which is a flavor I hadn't tried yet. And ever since then, I, it's, I think it's my favorite flavor of (laughs) it's a great, that's a great flavor. I agree. Yeah. It's very, um, it reminds me of like summertime a little bit. So now that we're getting into the colder months, I don't, I kind of want it to be just like a seasonal thing, I think, but it's so good. It's really refreshing. So that's my current favorite. I love it. I'm like a coconut LaCroix diehard. So coconut is very much like you either love it or you hate it, but I am obsessed with it. And it is very summery too. It just like, you just want to be on a beach and drink it, but it's by far my favorite. So I love it. (laughs) But my current favorite is actually an app. Um, the enduring word app is something that I downloaded on my phone. It's been over a year, probably Natalie, actually my friend, Natalie, told me about it and it is a free Bible commentary app and it is um, produced by, he's a pastor, but he has basically devoted his whole life to like Bible commentary. And he has picked brains of theologians. He's done tons of research and he has a ton of different people that provide commentary within the app. So if you're reading like one verse of the Bible, he breaks down historic facts, views of different uh, theologians and things like that. So it's an incredible app if you're like really wanting insight into a specific portion of the Bible. And I've been really reading that a lot lately. Um, It's just been helping me understand things, especially like historically. It's been really a good, good app. So I love it. I love that. So Mary, just curious, um, do you pull it up? Like, are you reading, are you going through the Bible and trying to like read it start to finish? Or is it like certain sections you'll refer to the app? I, so what I've been doing like lately, since I've been kind of back into this app is I will honestly, because it is, the app is so in depth that really I will read like maybe 20 verses. And then I will go to the enduring word app and I will like reread them with the app and it will break down every single line and give you details into it. And so, and that takes me quite a while. So it's very, very, very in depth. Um, so if you're not like wanting that, if you're wanting just something more like 
it's not like a, a homily or like something like that. It's very in depth. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I do. I, I take pretty small chunks and then I reference the app. Yeah. That's so cool. That's awesome that it's, it's free too. It's a free resource. Yeah. Yeah, It's awesome. And it's available in different languages and things like that too. So very cool. Well, awesome. Well, I'm glad that we got to chat about our current favorites. Um, but I think without further ado, we should kind of jump into our conversation with Lauren. I'm so excited to, um, kind of kick this off. Yeah, let's do it. So welcome, Lauren. We are so excited to have you here on the Sacrifice of Praise podcast as a guest for today's episode. Um, So if you wouldn't mind just starting out by introducing yourself and sharing um, what you do and a little bit of your background. Yeah. Well, first off, thanks for having me on the podcast today. I'm so grateful to be here and just excited to chat with the both of you guys. Um, So like Tori said, my name is Lauren Delgado and I'm a nurse midwife. I live here in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, I was born and raised here in the Des Moines area. I went to the local Catholic high school and then um, growing up, I did a lot of mission work and that kind of opened my eyes to nursing and a couple different midwives who I met along my journey. And I thought, wow, this is so cool. I can't believe people do this for a job. I, I think that would be amazing. So I went on, I attended Grandview University here in Des Moines. And then I started working as a labor and delivery nurse. And I loved that. But I really wanted to kind of um, be more involved with the patients long term, like throughout their pregnancy, not just with their birth. So I decided to Um, continue on to become a nurse midwife. And I went to the only Christian nurse midwifery program in the United States, which is in um, St. Paul, Minnesota, and that is Bethel University. So I went there um, and I've been working as a midwife for the last three and a half years or so. And yeah, so that's kind of a little bit about myself and my free time. I like to spend time with family um, and I love to travel and I do not, I enjoy plants and flowers, but I do not have a green thumb and can't <laughs> <anything> alive. <laughs> I love it. Wait, we need to pause for one second. And didn't you just come back from an amazing trip yes. with your like baby and husband? Yes. How long were you there and where did you all go? We were there two and a half weeks. Um, we had this Europe trip planned before we got pregnant. Oh, wow. We had no intention of taking a baby. And then we got pregnant and we're like, well, I guess we're going with a baby. And yeah. It was the perfect age. She was seven months and she, like people thought, oh my gosh, how could you do that? It was a breeze. She, I just wore her the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just great. She, and I'm nursing constantly. She wasn't eating foods yet. So it was super easy. And we went, we were gone two and a half weeks. We did Italy, France and Switzerland. And it was awesome. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. I was so jealous. The pictures were beautiful and it looked like, yeah, it looked like you really handled it well with your sweet little baby. So that's awesome. Much easier than we thought it would be, which is such a blessing because you never know. Um, I did get COVID when we got back, which was not ideal, but, um, it was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. At least you got it when you came back and not right before you left. (laughs) Right. So true. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Sorry to, well, that was a little sidetrack, but, um, kind of getting just back on topic. I know you said, um, there were a few things that kind of influenced your decision into nursing. Was there anything specifically that makes you or made you 
you know, passionate about women's health specifically and kind of knowing that you wanted to focus on, you know, labor and delivery to start and then kind of going into more of the midwife side of things? Like, was there something that kind of, I guess, triggered that passion for you? Yeah. Um, there's lots of different experiences I had, as I'm sure both of you know, when you travel abroad and just see different things, there's a lot of eye-opening moments. And for me, um, I was in India and I was in nursing school at that time, but I wasn't sure what area I wanted to focus on. And I went to India for a couple of weeks for a mission trip and we were in the slums and I just saw so many women who had malnourished children and really needed help in their pregnancy um, we were handing out like prenatal vitamins and um, it wasn't a medical mission trip at this point, but we were just handing out some prenatal vitamins and kind of walking through the slums. And I just, my heart kind of broke for these women in a way that is indescribable. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire, but that is one of the best descriptions I can think about of what I experienced in India. And so being there, seeing those women in the slums and taking care of all these children, I thought I it drew my heart and my passion to women. And I think the biggest thing is the strength that women have, whether you're in a third world country or this country, women's lives and health, it's, it's always changing. You go from puberty to young adult to pregnancy, postpartum, menopause, like we're never in this constant season. It's always change and it's big change. And I think that can be really tricky, but it's also one of the most beautiful, miraculous things is that women are so strong. And so I think just the strength of women is, is why I'm drawn to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because it's so true. The different stages of, um, you know, the female cycle, puberty, menopause, pregnancy, all of that, um, your body just changes so much throughout the course of your life. And, with that, and we'll, we'll touch on this a little later in the episode on just the education around your body and your fertility. Um, but one thing I wanted to bring up is, um, you know, Mary and I have had our own different forms of infertility that we've, um, gone through and prior to, at least I can speak on my behalf prior to my experiences, I had recurring miscarriages before my son, um, Fitzpatrick, who's 10 months now. And prior to that, you know, I had heard the term miscarriage. I've heard the term infertility, but I really wasn't that aware of it, nor did I even really think about, oh, like I, there's a chance that I could struggle. You know, I just thought that everything would go smoothly. So could you maybe share a little bit of some like common fertility related issues or problems that you've seen, um, and also have helped with? Yeah, I think you touched on a good point saying you've heard of the word miscarriage and it's very common statistic. We all know that one in four women will suffer a miscarriage during their lifetime. So that's very, I mean, you can count in a room when you're there and it seems like everyone you know has suffered one. I mean, it is, it's so common um, and it is becoming a lot more topic of conversation, which is great because women shouldn't feel like they need to cover that up. They, you know, they need support and they need prayers in those times. Um, but like you said, women who it's, it's kind of goes both ways. And I, I see it a lot, both ways in the clinic setting. And just when talking to women outside of like clinic and work is women are either on one side, they are kind of thinking like, oh no, that wouldn't happen to me. Like they don't even entertain the idea of miscarriage. And then on the other side, which I felt like I fell into is women who are in this world who maybe work in labor and delivery or women's health or had a sister or a loved one go through it. 
they just get terrified to get pregnant because you just think you're going to have all these losses. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that, and that's not always healthy either because it's so difficult. So you're kind of in this two-way streak of either you have no idea it's going to happen or you're just terrified. So that's a hard, hard space to be in. Um, but as a midwife, usually when women are coming to me, they're already pregnant. So in terms of the daily interactions with women, I wouldn't see a ton of infertility. However, um, I had helped a handful of women in clinic in the early stages of infertility. And even just with getting to know their cycle, like for example, a lot of women would come to me and say, we've had unprotected sex for nine to 12 months. You know, we're still not pregnant. And I would say, well, when are you having sex? Do you know when you're ovulating? And they'd be like, oh, what, what, what's ovulating? And then I would just think, oh dear, <laughs> what am I do here? So for those women, it, it wasn't so much the infertility piece, but just education, um, mm-hmm. which is great because you'd educate them, kind of get them back on track. They would get pregnant. Great. And then on the other side of thing, you would have women, you know, 12, 14, 18 months. They know exactly when they're ovulating. They're doing ovulation predictor kits. They're, they're doing all the things, cycle tracking. They know exactly what's happening and they're still not getting pregnant. Um, so as a midwife, we don't have extensive education and training on infertility per se, but we were, you know, you can prescribe different meds like Femara or Clomid, um, that can kind of help in the initial journey of infertility with those women. And so as a midwife, we do a little bit of that, um, do a lot of talking about, you know, timing and all this kind of stuff, healthy diet, which I think we'll get into talking about later, a bunch of different things you can do to help and improve fertility. Um, but then after that, it's hard, but you kind of have to send them off to a specialist, a fertility specialist, because there's only so much we can do as a midwife. Um, but the few patients who I recall, like their exact, um, diagnosis and what they were struggling with at that time, um, I've seen women who would have blocked fallopian tubes, um, and that can be for various reasons, but like they had pelvic inflammatory disease or just scarring in their fallopian tube, which then makes it nearly impossible for the egg and the sperm to meet. Um, Mm -hmm. So then obviously you can't achieve a pregnancy. Um, Then I would also see women who, and this is a hard diagnosis, but they would get unexplained infertility, meaning every single thing in the book lines up, all the labs are normal, even on the guy's side, like the sperm counts are normal, the morphology is normal, everything is textbook perfect. And they just don't have an answer. And I feel like that was the most frustrating thing for these couples because everyone, you just want a diagnosis. Like, why is this not working? What is going on? And it's just unexplained. So I think those things are the hardest for women to, to kind of wrap their head around is what's, what's unexplained about that. So, yeah, totally. Like Tori said, Tori and I experienced very different types of infertility. For me, I was literally just infertile. Like they had told me that I, my body had already gone through menopause and they had technically diagnosed me with premature ovarian insufficiency where like sometimes my body was like maybe fertile. And then sometimes it was like, nope, not a chance. And I feel like everything that you just described is like, like I did so much research. I knew every type of infertility diagnosis possible. I knew all of those terms. I knew absolutely everything that I could do. And I basically did everything that I could do on my end, like all of the things, took all the supplements, did all the diet changes, everything. And actually it helped my just 
cycle regulation so much because I've never in my life had regular cycles before finding out all of this. So I'd be curious to know, and you kind of alluded to this a little bit about like diet change is huge for, you know, fertility uh, optimization, but are there any other things? And I can kind of share you know, once you've shared your more professional, um, recommendations, I can kind of share like a few of the things that I did too, but are there specific things that you would recommend for, you know, optimizing fertility for successful and healthy pregnancies? And I know, like you said, you're already seeing people that are basically, they're usually already pregnant. So this isn't something that you necessarily often focus on, but if there's any kind of like pieces of advice or things that you've seen over the years, that would be helpful. I think our listeners would love to take that in. Yes. Um, so a big thing, which you already touched on is diet. So a healthy balanced diet. And when I say healthy diet, I, people are often like, okay, so I just have to have like meat, fruits, and vegetables, like no sugar, no, you know, this is right. balanced. So you can do 80, 20, 90, 10, like pretty much you're eating clean and well, but you're not being too restrictive because then it just, it becomes a, a, a mind game and you get so obsessed with it and you feel like you could never go out and enjoy friends or a holidays or a birthday party. And that's, that's not healthy either, but a healthy, well-balanced diet, um, you know, reducing those sugars, dairy is an inflammatory thing um, that a lot of people don't know too much about. So taking out those things that we know aren't as good, but again, you can have them in moderation. You don't need to do a hundred percent cutting out. So diet's a big one. Also exercise. Again, you don't need to be exercising seven days a week for an hour and a half. This is, you know, daily walking, cardio, some weights, swimming is a great exercise, but some form of exercise, you know, five or six times a week, decreasing stress. And this is a hard one because a lot of people have stressful jobs but, you know, finding something that is kind of mindless to do, whether it's reading a book or prayer time, meditation, yoga, um, going on a walk, doing something you really like, going to the mall, shopping to get your mind to just kind of melt away and not focus on things. Another one would be cutting out caffeine and alcohol. That's a pretty standard one. Um, no smoking, which I feel like that's not as common today, but some people are vaping. So, you know, you don't want to be smoking, vaping, anything like that. And then taking vitamins. So ideally, I didn't know this until I was in midwifery school, but you should be taking a prenatal vitamin ideally three months before you even want to conceive. And I thought that was really interesting. Like why? But the most important weeks of pregnancy are those first four to 11 weeks. You are creating organs at that point. So you need to already have all of this nutrition and these vitamin stores built up because you're creating organs, you're creating a brain and eyes and ears. And some women don't know they're pregnant, shockingly enough, I always think, till maybe eight to 10 weeks. And by that point, you've already developed organs. Mm -hmm. um, they're well on their way to development. So starting a prenatal early um, and some women need different things in their prenatal. So everyone always says, what's the best prenatal? But there's, it's what's ever best for your body. We all need different things. So it's, it's more individual based. Um, and then the other, the kind of the last biggest thing I feel really strongly about is charting your cycle, which I could talk for hours and hours about this, <laughs> knowing your cycle and charting it is one of the best things you can do leading up to getting pregnant. Yeah. Well, so speaking of charting your cycles, you know, um, as I mentioned before I got married and, you know, really started thinking about starting a family, I didn't really know what charting your cycle meant or like what the different types of methods were. And I, 
you know, being raised Catholic, I had heard of natural family planning and I was familiar with that. Um, but I know that there are several different ways, um, you know, the Marquette method of tracking ovulation in your cycle. Um, however, we did want to ask you about natural family planning, um, you know, from, for someone who might not be familiar with that is, can you kind of explain what it is? And then, um, just curious if this is something that you kind of preach to your patients as well as a, as a good way to track your cycle. Absolutely. So NFP or natural family planning is essentially a fertility awareness method. Um, it does fall under the contraception guidelines, like in schools and in textbooks and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't really like to think about it as contraception per se, because it, it's so much more than that, but it does fall into that realm. So it's, like I said, it's fertility awareness. And what it is, is um, either a woman who, you know, can be single, like you said, you started before you were even married. So did I, and um, you're working to track different fertility signs during your cycle. So you can do this as a 13 year old and you can do it as a 30 year old and for the rest of your life, which is a beautiful thing, but you're tracking different fertility signs during your cycle. Um, there's a few different methods of NFP and they've kind of, kind of evolved over the last, you know, dozens of years. Um, but a few of the most common ones would be the Creighton method, which is looking at mucus throughout your cycle. Um, the Marquette method, which is you are um, testing your urine each morning, and that looks at um, estrogen and the luteinizing hormone and kind of measures that and tells you if you're ovulating or if it's at a low point in your cycle. And then there's a few other ones like the Billings method, which is a little bit older, but that also looks at mucus. There's the symptothermal method, which is like taking your temperature. So there's a handful of them, um, but there's definitely some that are more, more effective and um, kind of more common and popular than others. I kind of did a little research and I, I have never actually followed like a specific method of natural family planning, but when we were getting pregnant, we were obviously very much or trying to get pregnant. We were very much tracking my cycles and I learned so much. And I would say, uh, in a roundabout way, I was following NFP, but as I was doing a little research for this episode, I just kind of found some of the different like benefits. And so I can kind of share some of those. So first of all, obviously the most obvious is gaining control of your cycles. I feel like that's the really the biggest benefit of NFP is understanding your body, understanding when things are going to happen, what's going on, all of those things. Um, each phase of your menstrual cycle, you kind of know what to expect, when to expect it for the most part. NFP is also a basically free, you know, planning method, um, which you can't necessarily say about a lot of contraceptives or um, if you're using certain ovulation trackers or things like that. So that's another great benefit. Um, if you are relatively healthy, have regular cycles, this is one of the kind of methods that you can avoid medication and any other, like I said, contraceptives. And there are a lot of apps that go along with NFP. So you can kind of do your research and find different apps um, for those different methods or most of which are free. Um, something that I used and was recommended to me quite a bit that I believe strongly helped me understand my cycle and get pregnant um, is called OvuSense. And it's basically, um, 
tracks your basal body temperature every day. And so um, I think it would go along with the, I forget what you called it, the symptothermal. So it would go along with that um, method in a sense, not probably perfectly, but I was curious if either of you used any like ovulation tracking when you tried to conceive or kind of what, because I know there's so many things out there and it can be kind of confusing. I know there's like the mirror bracelet or even just like the cheap ovulation strips, things like that, Mm -hmm. that you can use. So I was curious, like Lauren, Tori, did either of you use any sort of tracking when you were trying to get pregnant? Yeah. So I can just touch on this. Um, before we had Fitzpatrick, um, I, like I had mentioned, um, I had three previous miscarriages. So getting pregnant wasn't always difficult for us. Um, but I, and I don't, I know for the first one, I didn't do any type of method, but I believe for the other two, I just bought like the cheap, like you mentioned, cheap ovulation strips on Amazon. And it came in a pack of like 50 or hundred. And I always, I would track my cycle on, um, different apps. The one that I was using was called Eve. And it was just simply like tracking your cycle. So you would log when your period started, you would log when your period ended, and then it would just track. Okay. So here's, here's like the window of days that you're most fertile. And during those, when that window, it would say on my app is when I would test with the ovulation strip. So for me, that kind of worked for us. Um, however, I did move and switch to a different method postpartum. So after I had fits, I wanted, obviously your body's going through a lot of changes. You don't necessarily know when your cycle is coming back, especially if you're breastfeeding. And so I looked more into the Marquette method and my sister-in-laws, they use that method as well. So they kind of educated me around what it is and how to use it because it can feel a little overwhelming at first, not knowing all like any of it. So I, and that method, um, I, I'm not sure if it's for everyone. Um, but what I followed was the clear blue, um, fertility track monitor. So it comes with testing sticks and then there's the monitor and yeah. So you check your, um, urine every morning and the monitor will tell you if it's, if it's, um, low fertility day, high fertility day, or your peak fertility day. So it's, I would say pretty accurate on that. And so postpartum, once my cycle returned, um, is when I started using that. And I'd say it was, it was really accurate for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you make very good points with that postpartum is a crazy time, especially with breastfeeding. Um, and some first time moms get their period back at like eight weeks. And then I'm over here, you know, almost 10 months postpartum, like, hello, where are you? Are you (laughs) Um, but yes, so kind of to rewind a little bit, um, when I, so I have always had very wonky cycles, like 30 to 70 days, no rhythm, no like consistency at all. So I kind of entered marriage thinking like, well, it's going to go one of two ways. Either we're going to take forever to get pregnant or we're going to have a honeymoon baby. Like something's gonna, you know, I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, but a couple of months into marriage, I was like, I don't even know when I'm ovulating. I'd always been tracking my cycle and I used this thing, I think since I was like 15 years old, 
Um, so I have like years of data on this thing and it, it's just called period tracker. It was one of the first period apps and very basic, no like extra fluff, just plug in what's going on when. Um, but I have like over a decade of data in that thing. So I never want to get rid of it. Um, but that's what I used. And so I had always been doing that. And then um, I did start using um, exact same thing as Tori did, the Amazon ovulation, the cheap sticks, just to kind of get an idea like what's going on. Um, and so you just, um, you pee on one in the morning and then you kind of read, you know, are there two lines? Is one darker than the other? Kind of what that looks like. And that'll kind of give you a foundation. Um, so that's what I used and, um, it worked right away for us, which I, I was really shocked by because working in when women's health, I thought like, oh, I know it's usually four to six months. So, you know, I won't get my hopes up and we'll just kind of see. And then things really kind of took off and I was shocked by that. Um, I also should mention, I did, after we got married, I, um, got the Ava bracelet. I had, um, family members who had gotten it and they really liked it. And so I thought like, oh, I'll give it a try just to kind of even be more aware of my cycle and what was going on. And so I kind of had the period tracker, the Ava bracelet, which I wore, you do have to wear it at night. It measures um, like your heart rate, your um, breathing pattern, obviously how much sleep you get, um, your heart rate variation, and then your temperature. Um, it was interesting because being on call as a midwife and like waking up in the middle of the night to go catch babies, you have to wear it for six hours every night. So sometimes my data would be like all over the place and then it would go off. Like your heart rate's really high. And I'm like during a birth, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> didn't always like exactly line up with everything, but for the most part, it worked really well. And so same thing, it's like taking in that symptothermal method for the temperature, but it's looking at multiple signs of what you're, what's going on in the body. Um, and then postpartum, yeah, that's a whole nother thing, but that's kind of what we did. And just to kind of go back in terms of the whole NFP thing, um, it is one of the most effective contra you know, contraception um, or fertility awareness methods. It's 99% effective. So that is, you can't say that about an IUD because um, I've taken care of plenty of patients who get pregnant on the IUD. Um, condoms, the, you know, the patch, the pill, you can't say that about any of them. So when doing it correctly, NFP is 99% effective, which is just amazing. And um, I know Mary, you already touched like, you know, you're not having the side effects. It's ultimately free. Obviously you can get the extra things like even a thermometer is, you know, only a couple bucks. And if you want to do like the Marquette thing, you know, you're spending a little bit more for the sticks and the test kit and stuff. But um, overall NFP is very, much, uh, um, effective, an effective method. And then just money wise, it, it's a good investment and really forces good communication with, with your partner, just to kind of get on the same page with everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of, you know, misunderstanding around NFP too. And, and I think part of that's just a lack of education. Um, and I don't think a lot of people realize how effective it is, you know, and it, cause it's truly basing it off of your body and your cycle. And so, um, that's as accurate as you're going to get is testing your own body to see what, what's going on, um, and measuring your cycle. And I mean, we've mentioned several different resources and, you know, methods, testing skits, sticks, apps, there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, so maybe Lauren, like for someone who is just getting started of like, I've never really 
tracked my cycle. I don't even know where to begin. Or maybe they're looking to start a family, looking to maybe take a break, take a gap between kids. Like what would you recommend as a good starting point for them um, just to, to begin with fertility tracking and understanding their cycle? Yeah, I think... I think everybody should do it, whether you're a teenager or, you know, you're well, and you've got off birth control for maybe 10 years and you have no idea what's going on with your body. So I think just downloading one of the hundreds of apps, um, they're all pretty similar. We all, you know, have our favorites. You usually ask a friend, a sibling, something like that to get a recommendation. But um, I just think very, get an app and start plugging in stuff. And you want data for a few months. Ideally, you want to be able to see, you know, three or four months of kind of like what's going on. Um, because a lot of us have, you know, if we have stress or travel or an illness, our, our cycle changes. It is so, our bodies are so in tune to protect our eggs. So we have all these major changes, whether, you know, illness, travel, anything. So, um, get data for a few months and you can kind of be able to pick up signs of different things and what's going on with your body. And that's a great place just to start. And then like we all kind of talked about, once you get further in and you're, you're ready to take that plunge to, you know, get pregnant, um, you can kind of pick up on the other things, whether it's a bracelet or testing your urine, but to do all of that at once is it's really overwhelming. And so you don't need to buy all this gear or kind of say like, I'm going to do a temperature. I'm going to do this, this, and this, that is too much. Just take a step back, just start plugging in your cycle and what's going on, you know, write notes of, Oh, I'm starting to have back pain. And then the next day it'll show you ovulated, like, Oh, maybe there's a correlation there. Um, so just kind of becoming familiar with your body and, and just know that you're not alone in this. There's so many women, again, it's very under talked about. And cause there's this big preconceived notion of NFP and you're going to have 10 kids and all that. But the beauty of that is I like to think like women knew what was going on. Like God just blessed them with these kids and they wanted these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, children are such a blessing. So, you know, it's not just, oh, there's the whole big Catholic group with 10 kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always thought this was interesting, but only 3% of women in the world use NFP. So that seems really little to me. However, that's 32 million couples worldwide. So when you look at it at, at that pace, you're like, wow, that is actually a lot. Um, I did my grad school thesis on the menstrual cycle. So I, I'm a little bit of a nerd about that thing, but, um, yeah, it's just, it doesn't seem like as a group, there's a lot of us NFP people out there, but really there is 32 million couples. So we're there. That's, that's a fun stat to know. And I feel like, like you said, like it can seem daunting and overwhelming, but there's definitely easy places to start. And I think those are great tips for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Um, Lauren, could you maybe share just for people who aren't really familiar with what midwives do or the benefits of them? Could you maybe share some of the benefits that patients may experience through, you know, deciding to work with a midwife versus just going to an OB or a hospital? Yep. So there's many different options um, when it comes to birth. So you can either have a midwife or you can have a physician, an OBGYN doctor. Um, And like I already mentioned before, you can choose to give birth at home in a birth center or in the hospital. And it really depends on what state you're in. Some states, birth centers are legal and licensed, other places are not. So you kind of have to do your research based on your state and your location. Um, But basically the biggest um, difference is most all doctors are at the hospital. I don't know any here who deliver at home. So you kind of have to decide, do you want to go with a doctor or a midwife? That's kind of the, the biggest thing that you start off with. 
Um, and the biggest comparisons between the midwifery model of care and the physician or the medical route is, is pretty much how birth is viewed. So midwives view pregnancy as in birth as normal physiologic natural processes that really do not need to be interfered with unless something comes up or a complication arises. Um, midwives are known for really healthy outcomes with low C-section rates. Um, they spend double or quadruple the amount of time um, with their patients during an appointment. So your appointment might be 60 minutes with a midwife, whereas it might be 10 or 15 minutes with an OBGYN. So a lot more education on nutrition and exercise and, and birth prep is a huge one. Um, midwives spend a lot of education time with their patients about what does the birth process look like? How long is it going to take? Um, what your body is actually going through at that point, how the cervix dilates, what does that look like? Um, whereas the medical model is a little bit more, you know, you come for your care, your visits are kind of um, a little bit shorter and you might be asked if you want to induce or um, it, it might just be viewed a little bit more as a diagnosis rather than just a normal phase of life that you're going through. So um, I also know as a midwife, even in the hospital setting, we'd see maybe 15 patients a day, whereas the OBGYN doctors will see 40 to 50. So they're kind of shuffling throughout that point. Um, whereas midwives, it's a lot more time oriented. And, and that's not to say that physicians don't provide good care or anything. They're, they're a physician for a reason. They're smart, they're educated, um, they're great at what they do. And midwives and physicians work best when they're collaborating together. Mm -hmm. um, most women in the United Kingdom, it's around 80% have midwives who take care of all of their women, about 80%. And the other 20% are seen by physicians because they have higher risk conditions or they need that care. And so when you have a collaborative um, model of care with midwives and doctors, that's actually the best model because you're kind of getting the best of both worlds and, and you can feed off of one another. And both learn from one another. And, and that's a huge piece. Like we teach them and they teach us. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. That's so wonderful. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to share all this information with our listeners and we are just so thrilled to have you on the podcast. It was very informative and I am certain that all of our listeners can take at least one good thing away from this, um, this episode that they may not have known before. So and so, um, Lauren, we end every episode in prayer. Um, and just as a reminder, if you guys have any prayer requests that you would like us to keep in mind throughout the week or even include in an episode, um, if you would like to send in any prayer requests, please um, submit that on our Instagram page and we will definitely keep you in our prayers. Perfect. Well, without further ado, I will end us in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of this podcast. We thank you so much for bringing Lauren on to share um, just all about women's health and to have just a great discussion that we know will benefit so many women. We thank you so much for honestly just making us women. We know that women are beautiful in your eyes and um, we thank you for just the gift of each of our lives. We thank you for the gift of our children. We thank you for everything that you've blessed us with, Lord. We pray today that you would just be with um, those struggling with infertility, those worried about um, giving birth, those going through loss or um, grieving children. We just pray, Lord, that you, you, the Holy Spirit, would just be with them, bring 
them peace and uh, comfort them as they go through those, those days. Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a friendly review. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Sacrifice of Praise Podcast and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so you never miss an episode. Until next time, know that we are praying for you. Bye. Bye.